So as we talked about last time, God's providence works all things for our good. This is the second part to the introductory message in, that, in this mini-series last week on the life of Joseph. We think about breaking down that title, God's providence works. God is constantly, providentially, in his sovereignty, behind the scenes, guaranteeing our one hope and our one calling. He is unifying, bringing all things, all of us together in one body, under one faith, one Lord, one baptism, through Jesus Christ. And as we walk through the text today and we look at Joseph and his life, we are going to find God's providence is sovereignly working all things for Joseph's good, despite the crazy circumstances in his life. And in so many ways, you and I can relate to Joseph as the everyman, as it were, because we live in a sin-cursed world. In fact, that is, the, that is the tether that binds us to the past messages in Genesis, sin destroys. That is a theme that we have seen concurrently just rippling through the pages of the narrative. Sin destroys, but God delivers. And so we're going to see as we finish out the book of Genesis through the life of Joseph, just how awesome our great God is and how much he delivers despite our circumstances. Now, there's a couple of things that we want to know. First of all, other than the divinely revealed dreams that Joseph had, um, which I believe is in keeping with the way God operated in the Old Testament through divine revelation. Divine revelation came when holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, um, some by dreams, some by direct prophecy. Here, Joseph receives dreams, records those dreams, and holds on to those dreams as the precious promises of God. Other than that instance, from here on out, for the rest of Genesis we will not see another supernatural occurrence other than divine revelation. In other words, God will work in Joseph's life by the normal, everyday, providential means that he works in yours and mine. Just like we can't expect a, a divine prophecy or an angel appearing at our doorstep, um, we have the finished, revealed word of God that we can cling to and, and carry those promises just like Joseph did throughout his 20 years of difficulty and trial. And so I want to note that. Also, we're going to make another note as we get into uh, the text a little bit deeper of, of the Lord's name and its mention. God's covenant name, and I'll, I'll repeat this in the message here in the appropriate text, but God's covenant name shows up at the beginning of Joseph's journey eight times. And then it's never repeated until the very end of the book of Genesis when Jacob repeats it while blessing his children. Now that is not to say that God is not the subject of the life of Joseph. In fact, I think it's, we're going to see clearly in the text today, God's providence and his sovereignty behind the scenes is definitely the subject of Joseph's life. But it is to say that we are to key in on the, on, the, on the facets and the aspects of Joseph's life in such a way as to be reminded, just like in our everyday lives, God providentially works all things together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. So as Joseph is, is our everyman today, so we, like Joseph, must remember as believers, we must claim our calling and cling to our hope in our sovereign God's providential plan for our lives. Do you believe God has a providential plan for you? And if you do, are you willing to cling to that hope and claim those promises today? That is the thrust of the message. So as we look here in way of introduction, we see God's grace was overflowingly at work in Jacob's life. I do believe I made up that word, by the way. So those of you who are keeping track of the Pastor Ryan Dictionary, you can add that one to it, overflowingly. Uh, so much so that some of the major lessons we learned while trekking through Jacob's story were this. God's sanctification requires us to trust our faithful father. Jacob had been a mess, right? And that if you truly trust God's sanctifying grace, then you must obey your faithful father. God wants us to trust and obey. Now some of you are humming that tune, right? 
You're welcome. Okay, uh, furthermore, we learned that although God's grace is resolute, that means it's resolved, it's stalwart, it's standing strong in our lives, God still wants our full obedience. These are some of the truths that led us to um, this point in our uh, narrative. So today we're picking up where we left off last week at the start of the longest narrative, the longest narrative in Genesis and the final Toledoth section, the final division of the book. The biblical account of Joseph is at once theological, uh, theological narrative and heroic literature. It will instruct and challenge all who seriously engage in it. Here is a sweeping narrative that moves between the pastures of Palestine to the 18th century B.C. courts of the Nile with a hero for the ages. In fact, the majestic character Joseph towers over it all, much like that of Daniel in Babylon. In fact, as I mentioned last week, there are parallels between Joseph and Daniel. They both displayed wisdom, the wisdom that was given to them by God. Both of them interpreted dreams of their kings. Both could not be compromised. Both were jailed for their obedience, and both were made vice-regents of their adopted realms. And more, Joseph's actions sometimes even foreshadowed those of Christ himself, whose rejection by men played an essential part in the effecting our deliverance. So, as we look at uh, the reality here, the rousing beauty of Joseph's story is revealed in the way he, we, the reader, are meant to see God's hand of providential working behind the scenes to orchestrate his will through the everyday mundane of life in this sin-cursed planet. As our theme of 2023 and Genesis revealed, sin destroys, God delivers, and the theme is clearly true in the ebb and flow of Joseph's life. But there is more to Joseph's story. Through Joseph, we are meant to see our one hope and our one calling in 2024. We must, like Joseph, endure the trials of our everyday lives and trust in the providence of the God who sees our suffering and willingly directs our steps through the natural course of our lives for our good and his glory. Christian, today, let's remember that as believers, we must claim our calling and cling to our hope in our sovereign God's providential plan for our lives. And so, last time we were together, we took a look, first of all, in this uh, study, um, we took a look at God's sovereign providence working despite human failure. We saw that in Genesis 3, 1 to 11. We saw that and spent all of our sermon uh, in that last time. So just in way of reminder, we saw God's sovereign providence working despite human failure. We saw that in Joseph's report in chapter 37. We also saw that in Jacob's favoritism in the same section. And then ultimately we saw that in God's providence in verses 5 to 11. Now last time we read um, verses 12 uh, to 36, and we, I touched on it, but I didn't give away the secondary truth that we're going to see today as we begin our message, because this is our part two and we'll conclude this section. So we're going to see next that God's sovereign providence works through human suffering. We're going to see this in chapter 12, or excuse me, chapter 37, verses 12 to 36. Now, we read all of this last week, so I'm not going to reread it, all right? When we get to chapter 30, 39, I will read chapter 39 because that's our final point today. That's where it comes from. So as we look in this section, let us be reminded, as I've said already, most importantly, as believers, we must claim our calling and cling to our hope in our sovereign God who providentially plans out our lives. God's providential plan for our lives is perfect, and we need to trust in him. So as we think about that, we know that our trust in him needs to come despite human failure. Secondly, we know that our trust in him, his providence, works through human suffering. Now, just to sort of engage our thinking this morning before we dive a little bit deeper, um, and I know I don't usually do this in the Sunday morning sermon, but just interactively, how many of you would be willing to admit that at some point in your life you have experienced human suffering? Anybody willing to admit that? Almost everybody admitted that, and some of you just did this because you're, you know, you're not 
you know, A-plus personality, so, you know, you can't lift your hand in church unless you're lifting your hand to praise God, right? But, but we, you know, anyway. Uh, so, yes, we understand that we have experienced human suffering. Joseph's story as an everyman is not meant for us to say, well, I can't relate exactly to that, so therefore this story isn't for me. No, that's what every man's story is. Joseph as an everyman shows categorically how we are supposed to respond when we providentially are directed in our lives through God's sovereign plan through human suffering. And so as we look at this, I want to make note of these truths. So if you want, turn back. We're not going to read it again, but turn back to chapter 37 and looking at verses 12 to 36. So you just scan them and you probably highlighted them already last week. As we look at this, there's a couple of sub-points I want to note that reminds us, as believers, we must claim our calling and cling to our hope in our sovereign God's providential plan for our lives, even when he works through human suffering. So first of all, notice Joseph is sent. Verses 12 to 17. Jacob is the one who sends Joseph on this perilous journey. Jacob is stirred by none other than God in his providence. Does God know that when Jacob sends Joseph, his one and only favored son, with a coat of many colors to find his kids uh, and get a report from them, does he know he's sending him to danger? Sure. Does God know the end of this story? Absolutely. God chose sovereignly and providentially only to reveal to Joseph the best part of that end, right? Where his sheaves would bow down or his brother sheaves would bow down, and then the sun, moon, and stars would bow down. In other words, the end of the story would be Joseph would be used to rescue the world. And yet, he would have to go through human suffering first. So as we look at this text, we see Joseph is sent. Joseph finds his brothers. And by the way, I mentioned this last time, but I didn't give you sort of mileage ideas. Joseph is trekking to find his brothers in Shechem, uh, and Dothan, this would have been about a 65-mile trek on foot, okay? So this would have taken him five to six days or so, um, and he's wandering around this coat of many colors all by himself through the place where his brothers, Simeon and Levi, had murdered with, uh, you know, indignity. They'd slaughtered the entire town of Shechem. Now, do you think this trek to Shechem is a, is, a, is a real smart move on his part to do it all by himself? Yet Jacob sends Joseph. Joseph was sent. He's simply obeying his father. And in the providence of God, as he's sent through here in this five to six day journey, aimlessly wandering, he finds a stranger who shows up and says, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm looking for my brothers. He's like, they're in Dothan. And God even providentially redirects his step through his wandering of obedience. And we find, as we noted last time, God's sovereignty was at work to send Jacob, uh, excuse me, Joseph, where he knew he would be in harm's way. That's not to say that God is the author of evil that occurred there, but God was bringing Joseph to the place where he needed to be so that he could learn to trust in his providence. Listen, Christian. Maybe you're in a time where you've been obediently following God, but you feel like you're wandering around Shechem and Dothan. You're looking for the place of completion and fulfillment. And in the process of that wandering, you're experiencing trials, circumstances that are just beyond your ability to overcome. And in your own strength and your own wisdom and own ingenuity, you're backed into the corner and you think, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Listen, God knows. And God wants you to trust in his providence. He is sovereign. Just as God sent Joseph through Jacob, so God sends us into the world to be his ambassadors, to be light and salt, to be hope, to present one hope and one calling through one faith, through one Lord and one gospel, and that's through Jesus Christ. Friend, don't be discouraged if in the wandering of life and the difficulties of your life and the circumstances that have squeezed you to this point of, of obedience but discouragement, don't be despairing because God is sovereign and his providential position has put you in the place that is good for you 
and will bring him the most glory. Now, I understand that that was a very loaded statement. And those of you who have been around me long enough know that, that I say that with lots of hurt and lots of trials that I myself have been through. But like Joseph, I believe in my sovereign providential God. I believe that when he says he works all things for my good and his glory, that the setbacks of the temporary far, far will be diminished by the exceeding weight of glory when I, get, when I cross over the other side. And friends, that's the point. Joseph was sent, but he was sent thinking about the providential sovereign promise of God. He was sent with God's blessing, knowing that God would go with him and go before him. And just like Joseph, we too have been sent with God's blessing, his holy, inerrant, infallible word that gives us a message of hope and love that reminds us that he will never leave or forsake us, and no matter where he sends us, he will go with us. No matter how hard the trial, no matter how hard the circumstance, he will stand by us. He will never leave or forsake us. Friends, when we accept the calling of God in our lives, when we go even in the midst of human suffering, we are like Joseph submitting and yielding to the will of God. And we, like Joseph, will be eternally blessed because of our obedience. When later recounting their story of Joseph's abuse in Genesis 42:21, we learn that apparently Joseph cried out for help after his beating and betrayal in a pit, but he was ignored. You say, Pastor, why are you bringing that up? Because I can't tell you how many times I have heard Christians and unsafe people alike in the midst of dire circumstances, and I don't, I'm not saying this without empathy, and I'm not diminishing their suffering or pain. But so many times I've heard Christians and non-Christians alike in the midst of dire suffering say things like, well, where was God? Why didn't he show up? He could have stopped my husband from having cancer. He could have stopped my child from getting killed by a drunk driver. He could have stopped uh, uh, my, my, my uh, uncle from making that perverse choice and abusing my family member. Where's God? And friends, the answer is God is there. He's at work. And he's working all things for our good and his glory. And so as we look at the text, we think about that. Joseph, Genesis 42, 21 tells us Joseph pled for his brothers to pull him out of that pit. Begged for his brothers to help him. But what happened? Fell on deaf ears. Fell silent. But God was not silent in Joseph's life. And so, we find later in Israel's history, by the way, interestingly enough, in the very same place, it was fun when I uh, just did a word search on Dothan, the location. You know what else happened in Dothan? In Israel's future, during the time of the prophets, Elijah and Elisha were surrounded by the armies of God's enemies. Uh, and Elijah's servant was in full freakout mode. And so Elijah prays at Dothan and says, God, open my servant's eyes, so that he can see reality. And when he opens his servant's eyes, his servant sees the armies of the hosts of the Lord in chariots arrayed for battle on the mountainside surrounding God's enemies. You see, friends, sometimes when we're in the midst of suffering and we're screaming, where are you, God? He is telling us, I'm here and my army is here. Put on the armor of God and stand therefore. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil seeks to devour you because he is like a roaring lion. But you humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. Submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. But instead we give in to the temptations for despair. We think we are the one and only one that hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. Joseph didn't give in to that temptation. Though he pled for his brother's mercy and did not hear God speaking, 
he saw God's provident hand of work in his life. You see, Joseph was sent. Christian, when you're tempted to despair because life seems to have you hemmed in and your circumstances feel dire, job pressures, relational pressures, spiritual warfare, strife, or injustice surround you, you and I must remember we must claim our calling and cling to our hope in our sovereign God's providential plan for our lives. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't sow to the flesh because of the flesh you'll reap corruption. Rather, sow to the Spirit because that will reproduce far, long-lasting, eternal rewards. God is always with us. He'll never leave or forsake us. Just as God was providentially leading Joseph, so he is leading you. Oops, next point here. Not only did we see uh, in this process of God's sovereign providence through human suffering that Joseph was sent, but we see that Joseph was also abused and enslaved. Now we're getting into the thick of it, aren't we? Joseph, it was one thing to say Joseph was sent, and he wandered and meandered around in an open field, and he felt a little listless, and he needed a little direction. It's another thing that in God's providence, he was allowed to be abused and enslaved. Friends, did you know when Adam and Eve, when Adam chose willfully and Eve was deceived and shared with her husband the fruit that she was, not, she was told not to eat of and Adam was told not to eat of, do you realize when they did, they sinned, they broke God's one law, that they, as our federal head, as our human representative, they plunged all of the human race to be bound and enslaved by sin. So Joseph was abused and enslaved, but so you and I, prior to Jesus Christ, were abused and enslaved. Prior to coming to faith in Christ, whether we recognize it or not, we were enslaved in sin. Sin was entrenched in our thinking without conscience, without, uh, without uh, any remorse. We maliciously and willfully sinned and broke God's law. Yet while we were still sinners, the Bible says, Jesus Christ died for us. You see, Joseph, who was abused and enslaved, uh, still understood the providence and sovereignty of God. You see, Joseph had a massive case for victimhood, right? Why not pity himself? He was indeed pitiful. He had not done anything to deserve this. His biggest sin was that he liked people. He, he assumed that they liked him back. How easy it would have been for him to fall into rage. How, how could his brothers do this? Their fists and their words were so brutal. He remembered their twisted faces, all so ugly and now so easy to hate. And where was God after all? Why did God not warn him at Shechem? Then Joseph could easily have gone home. And, and why the appearance of a caravan bound for Egypt? Reuben would have rescued him had it not been for this. How treasured thoughts of revenge could have become for young Joseph. And yet hate... Rage and hunger for justice, all of these emotions come easily to circumstances like these. But Joseph, like Jesus, learned to trust in his sovereign God and his providential plan. Friends, God says, vengeance or revenge is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. How did Joseph deal with human suffering, abuse, and victimhood? How did he, how did he cope with being enslaved? He trusted in his sovereign God who providentially works all things together for his good. Now, friend, I, I want to just have a caveat here. I know I'm trying to do some direct parallels and those always fail in some sense. If you are in a cer current circumstance where you are in a situation of abuse or slavery in some way, you need to tell someone in authority. This is a mandatory reporting state in Arizona. If someone is, is abusing you in some way, you need to talk to the proper authorities. God has raised up the government to bear the sword for a reason. And like it or not, as fault, faulty and flawed as our government is at this point, God holds the hand of the king in his excuse me, the heart of the king in his hand. Okay? So with that caveat, of course, let us remember. Even though we turn over to authority, those who are abusers, we also recognize that in the process of being abused or victimized by sin or whatnot, 
we still must and can and should, like Joseph, trust in the providence of our sovereign God. We must recognize, like the message title was, that God is good and he means our good. And I know that is hard to see sometimes when you're in a hurtful circumstance. But that does not negate the truth. God is good. That's a fact. And so as we look at the text, we find um, that, that Joseph exemplifies for us how to deal with, how to serve God in the midst of human suffering. Now, I want us to go to chapter 39, where we're going to find the final point today. And that's God's sovereign providence works despite temptation and injustice. God's sovereign providence works despite temptation and injustice. Now, as I've told you many times before, remember when I read the text, it's probably the most important thing I'm going to say. So let's look at the text together. I'm going to read it. Let's ask the Holy Spirit of God to help us understand it. Genesis chapter 39, we pick up right at the end of 37. Um, in chapter 37, the Midianites had sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guard. Enter chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. I want you to mark that in your Bible. I also want you to mark L-O-R-D, all caps. This is where it shows up eight times and doesn't show up again to the end of the book. The covenant name of God, God the great I am, says this, the Lord, God the great I am, was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and the Lord saw that, and, and his master saw that Yahweh was with him, and that the Yahweh, the Lord, made all he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. Literally, he put it in his hand. So it was from the time that he had made him, Potiphar had made him an overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I'll say something about that in a minute. And it came to pass... After these things, that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master doesn't know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept anything back from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was that she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside. Hmm, I wonder why they weren't inside. That she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And it was so when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See, he has brought to, into me a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice and it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. Oh, woe is me. So she kept his garment until her master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and I cried out that he left his garment with me and he fled outside. Well, she got some of the facts right. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. This doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out, does it, guys? Pretty jealous, jealous guy. His anger's aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. That's pr Joseph's blessed that he didn't do anything else. <laughs> took him and put him into prison. And a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. Look at verse 21. 
But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph, Joseph's hand, all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was Joseph's doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. I want you to see, though I made this point a negative one, the text is a very positive text. The reason why we are talking about the negative is because it's easy for us to highlight the negative and the injustice. In fact, again, in the world that we live in, we live in a sin-cursed world that doesn't agree that God is good and therefore is always looking for the bad in every circumstance. The world we live in is a world that has trained us, groomed us to think and say everything they think and say about God. Well, if there was a real good God, if God really was good, there wouldn't be human suffering in this world. If God really were good, there wouldn't be poverty. There wouldn't be starvation. There wouldn't be war or famine or drought. Have you heard these things? Have you heard these arguments before? Absolutely. But friends, the fact that there's poverty, famine, lack of education, war, drought, murder, adulteries, uh, um, you know, fornication alike, the, the throwing off of God's moral law all across the globe does not negate God's goodness. It actually highlights man's sin. You see, the Bible tells us that when we sin, we've broken God's law. Romans 1 tells us that God made this world to clearly show his triune nature. And he imprinted on every one of his greatest creations, that's you and I, he imprinted a conscience into our eternal being that that conscience and the created realities of his triune nature are meant to point us, the general revelation are meant to point us to a, the fact that there is a God and God is good. And when we reject God and we choose to worship the creation rather, rather than the creator, God then gives the world over to a reprobate mind. And that reprobate mind essentially is a mind that says, I don't believe God is good, I don't believe life is good, and I'm going to make life good in my own way. And you read the list in Romans chapter 1, and it pretty much sounds like everything that we're experiencing today. Because there's nothing new under the heavens, under the sun, Solomon says, under the sin-cursed world. We've not invented any new way of sin. We're just repeating the same ways of sin over and over and over again. And so what we find here is God's sovereign providence works despite temptation and injustice. And we notice that Joseph, though, and here's the point, here's the happy silver lining. Notice Joseph was accompanied. You say, what, do, what does that mean? Well, what, what does it mean when you accompany someone? You go with them. Who was with Joseph? Say it out loud. God. How about the way it says it in here? Yahweh, the Lord. The Lord was with Joseph. And wherever Joseph went, he prospered. Despite the suffering and the circumstances, despite the temptation, despite the push to sin, the Lord was with Joseph. He was accompanied. You see, we have to willfully close our eyes not to be uh, see the bold hints of Jesus, by the way, in the life of Joseph. Because Jesus, too, was sold and delivered up by sinful men with whom he lived. Also, when suffering untold agonies, Jesus forgave them, even as he forgives our sins today. Today, Jesus calls his own people brothers and sisters and fellow heirs, much like Joseph did with his own. Joseph was a monumental man living thousands of years before Jesus, but he was so much like Jesus. As we look at what it means for Joseph to be accompanied, what we find is what we ask the question, what was it that kept Joseph from despair, bitterness, and the will for revenge? And I think the answer is the only thing we are left to surmise is Joseph's trust in God's promise and the security of God's revealed word in Joseph's life. You see, God had spoken to Joseph in a dream twice and assured him of, of his blessing and reward. So when we are in times uh, of, of real injustice or despair, do we cling to what God has revealed in his word? 
Or do we allow ourselves to focus on our circumstances and stew in our own misery? Do we focus on the horizon or the horizontal, or do we look vertically to our Lord's powerful promises? You see, friends, when we face real injustice, we must remember we are accompanied. The Lord is with us. The psalmist put it this way, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Friends, remember in this sin-cursed world, we will face trials. We will face injustice. We will face trauma. We will face difficulty. But we will never face it alone. God has promised that he will give us his Holy Spirit who indwells us. And Jesus himself said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so as we look at Joseph's, Joseph being accompanied, uh, one more thought here today. Just as Joseph trusted in God and his promises, so you too must trust in God's powerful presence and his personal promises. This is the way the New Testament highlights our transformation into the likeness of Jesus. When we renew our minds and meditate on God's promises, when life's circumstances don't match what we see. Friend, are you renewing your mind daily? Are you taking the lies of the enemy that are bombarding you every moment and saying, nope, that's a lie, nope, that's a lie, nope, I won't believe that? Uh, let's get real this morning. When the world says that your only value or worth comes by your bank account, do you say no to that or do you buy into that? When the world says that your only value or worth, your only ability to gain status or uh, merit any type of, of excellence in this world is to look a certain way, young lady or young man, do you believe that? Do you buy into that lie? Do you give in to the temptation uh, uh, for for, you know, shaping your body in the image of the world? Do you buy into the lie that says, well, if you don't like who you are, you can choose to identify in a different way? By the way, there will be no end to that identification. There will be no end. Like the furry movement, that's going to take us who knows where. We might as well just go into the Star Trek, Star Wars movement. I want to be some weird alien, and I just claim to be. You're going to, just going to see people dressing up like cosplay on the... Say, I don't identify as male or female or trans. I identify as, you know, a galactic whatever, fill in the blank. It, it's going to happen. It's, it's the direction we're going. Because when we shake off the, the confines of God's created purpose, when we refuse to say, I am male, and even in my weakness, I know God has created me this way for a purpose, and I am female, and even in, in my challenges in this sin-cursed world, I know God has created me for a purpose in this way, and I want to glorify God in the way he has created me. I accept God the way he has made me, and I accept myself the way God has made me. Amen. And friends, when we, when we don't receive the goodness of God in that way, we don't say, God made me X, therefore, or Y. No pun intended, but I guess it could be punny there. Right? God made me this way, therefore I'm going to learn how the Bible says I should live this way. When we choose not to do that, we fall prey to the lies of the enemy. And once you let the lies of the enemy infiltrate your mind, then they become a heaping pile that is almost impossible to sift through. It's like when I went to college and I lived with three other guys in this small dorm room. We had, we had five bunk beds, four guys, three closets, one sink, and we had a shared bathroom down the hall with another 200 people or whatever it was. Man, I had one roommate. Oh, my goodness. It was so bad. You walked in the room, and his closet was the front of the room. And as soon as you walked in the room, you just got this heavy smell of dirty clothes. And I'm not even going to describe the kind of dirty, okay? But, you know... Definitely dirty, sweaty, jock socks, jock stuff, right? You know, he played basketball for a society. It was so nasty. Oh, my goodness. And finally, I was like, dude, you got to do something about this, man. I, I, I'm, I just, something's got to change. I don't know why it smells so bad in your closet. And I was like, I'm just checking. So I opened the door. He had not 
ever washed his laundry. It was piled higher than my belly button in his closet, okay, as a stand-up closet. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? How are you wearing clothes? He's like, well, I just, I'm just pulling them from the bottom of the pile. You know, I figure, you know, heat and pressure over time is going to clean it up and it'll be fine, you know, just pulling them from, I'm literally, that's the thing, that was what he was doing. And he just, he's, oh my goodness. I was like, didn't your mama ever show you how to wash your laundry? Yeah. It's like, well, why don't you do it? I don't know. I have better things to do on Saturday. I said, no, you don't. This Saturday, the best thing you could do is wash your laundry because you love your roommates. <laughs> and you know what? The truth is, sometimes we heap up the pile of filth in this world and we reject the goodness of God and we, we become nose blind to our own stink of sin. We forget that we are created for more. God has a bigger blessing in mind a greater purpose. You see, friends, we are in a sin-cursed world. We will be victimized and traumatized. But friends, we are accompanied. Joseph was accompanied. The Lord was with him. And that's what got him through those trials. Secondly, we find uh, Joseph making a choice. Joseph was accompanied, but Joseph also had to choose. And when we see in verses 2 to 23, the text highlights that um, this choice. So first of all, let me just say this. You notice back in chapter 39, verse 7, it came to pass after these things, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 6. How does verse 6 end? Now Joseph was, a han- was handsome in form and appearance. This word, handsome, is only used twice in the entire Old Testament. It's used of Joseph and his mom, Rachel. That's, that's it. It's only used of those two people. And it, it means exactly what it means. It means they were extremely good-looking and attractive. Okay? So, you, you know, whatever you're picturing in your mind's eye, you know, whatever you wanted to be, guys, he had it. Chiseled jaw, you know, uh, giga-chad body, right? I mean, he was, he, maybe not Giga Chad, that's pretty dumb. Don't Google Giga Chad, okay? I shouldn't have said that in the pulpit. Scratch that from the, the uh, files. Uh, but chiseled jaw, you know, super broad shoulders, you know, you know, shoulders twice the size of his waist, you know, you know, he didn't skip leg day, so really nice quads, you know, uh, all of that stuff. All of, he was extremely handsome. I know that I just lost you guys right there. The off the rails. We just completely went off the rails. So, oh man. Okay, let's get back on. I'm gonna go right back to it. Okay. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna jump there yet. So J- Jacob, Joseph, and Rachel are the only two people in the Bible described in this way. He literally was the pinnacle of a handsome man. He was beautiful to behold, and he was desirable. He was between the ages of 17 and 20. Um, so he hadn't even peaked yet. I mean, so this guy was so good looking. Uh, she knew he was going to only get better, you know, you know, like a good wine it's, as it ages, right? So, you know, anyway, um, my wife always teases me. She says men look more and more distinguished as they get older. You know, she's like, it's just not fair, right? I don't feel distinguished. I just feel like I have gray in my beard. It's just the way it goes. Uh, but as we look at the text, we're reminded that Joseph was living at the time as, a, as an extremely attractive man, not to mention he has raging hormones uh, in a society where sexual promiscuity, and especially among the slaves, was prominent. It was regular every day. Uh, it was rampant. However, Joseph's meditation on God's word and God's will kept him from giving in to his sinful impulses and eventually led him to become the world's savior in a global crisis. His life mirrors Jesus' life in this instance. Yet we are made of the same flesh and blood and expected to respond with the same God-honoring choice. So let's make some application here, Joseph's choice. What is pulling at your heart's desires today? Is it the cares and the concerns of this world? Is it the pleasure of sensuality and sexuality that we're all surrounded by? Is it the temptation to be that perfect human specimen for others to physically desire? May God help us all, like Joseph, to choose him, to trust in his sovereign plan for our lives rather than go our own way. You see, as believers, we must claim our calling and cling to our hope in our sovereign God's providential plan for our lives. Joseph made a choice. Will you make the same choice?
Third and finally this morning, we find Joseph had a blessing. God was with him. He was accompanied. He made a choice, but he also received a blessing. And we see that in verses 21 through 23. And as we look at that and be reminded of it, think about this. What an astonishing turn of events. Joseph had gone from the pit in Shechem up to the penthouse of Potiphar's estate and now down to the prison house of Egypt. Wow. Pit to penthouse to prison. What a turn of events. Few situations could be worse than an Egyptian prison, by the way, in 1500 BC, especially the lot of a manacled prison. In fact, Psalm 105 describes Joseph's incarceration. Um, in fact, you want to turn there so you don't, don't take my word for it. Psalm 105. Psalm 105 describes Joseph's incarceration. Uh, he was sold as a slave, we're told. Um, we're looking... Uh, Um, where I didn't write down the verse. That's my bad. Is it 17? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just, I just wrote down the verse in my notes and didn't actually write down the reference. Joseph was sold as a slave, verse 17. His feet were hurt with, with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The, Lord, the word of the Lord tested him. We see that in verses 17 and 19. Sold as a slave, there hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Psalm 105, 17 and 19. Here we find the motifs that open the story in verses 1 to 6 repeated, but on a new level. Here again, we see phenomenal, astonishing, empirical, verifiable success. Everyone could see that Yahweh was with Joseph. Joseph had never stopped seeing this reality. He saw it in the pit. He saw it in the penthouse. He saw it amidst Mrs. Potiphar's lies, and he now saw it in the prison house. And that is why he was and would be such an astonishing success. How does Joseph's story interact with the lives of God's children? Powerfully and substantially. Upon the conception of Christ the Messiah in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the, the angel Gabriel explained to another Joseph, and I quote Matthew 1, 20 and 21, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus' divinely given name is the combination of two words, Yahweh or Jehovah and salvation, so that his name means Yahweh saves, or Jehovah saves. See, the one who was with Joseph and gave him great success in all of Egypt, now consider uh, was Yahweh, the one who saves. Now consider the verses that follow in Matthew 1. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 1. You see, our Messiah, Jesus, is Yahweh and bears the name Emmanuel, God with us. As believers then, God is always with us in all of life. In fact, when Jesus left this earth, he said, And behold, I, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. So as we think of this truth, we must remember that Joseph's life teaches us that life is full of inequities and unfairness and tragedies. But it also teaches us that we have a great God who works amidst the rich compost of human life to do his will. We must understand that as God's children, we are called to give everything to him, even the bitter things of the past. As believers, we have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. Romans 8, 2. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We must rest everything on the awesome God of the Bible. We must believe that the awesome God of Genesis is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
that he is good. He is equitable to all his children, Hebrews 11.6. We must appropriate the, the freedom of Christ. Like Paul in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you live by faith or do you live by sight? Oh, friends, I am so tempted like you are to live by sight, to look at the horizon, to inspect the horizontal problems in life. But no, like Paul, we must look vertically. We must look to Jesus, who the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He resisted sin unto bloodshed, and he did so so that he could enter into the heavenlies once for all with his own blood and make a sacrifice for your sin and mine. He who knew no sin, Paul would say, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so, as we think of these truths, Joseph's life teaches us, let us remember, here is reality. Real life is unfair. Real life does not, deals out many inequities. Real life is filled with sin and sinners. Real wounds are everywhere. But the transcending eternal reality is that God is all-powerful and that his massive providence is at work in his children's behalf. Life brims with hope and optimism. Because when you put Christ at the center of your heart, you become his child. As God's children, we must believe his word. That is, God will work good out of past evils. And that trusting him, we will one day say with Joseph to past evils, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. Oh, friend, if you're a believer today, would you with me cling to that wonderful hope and claim your calling that your sovereign God has a providential plan for your life and his plan is good? Don't grow bitter. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't quit. Don't give in. Resist the devil. Stand firm. Put on the armor of God. Equip yourselves. Don't forsake the fellowshipping of yourselves as such is the manner of some as God's people. Gather together regularly, faithfully, together for prayer, the, the ministry of the word in doctrine and sound preaching and teaching and glean from one another that wonderful truth that God loves you and God has a special plan for your life. Don't be distracted by your plans, your provision, but seek God for his. Let's pray.